I'm also thankful I woke up yesterday. I guess I played outside too much over the Thanksgiving holiday, and, and uh, yesterday my voice wasn't really strong, and this morning I got up and it wasn't strong at all, and I was just thanking the Lord because as I was singing and then through Sunday school, I'm thinking, my voice seems fine. Now, I'm ready to give it up today, though, because God's Word is going to challenge us and teach us a lot. I ask you to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. When you get to Mark chapter 10, you can go to page 46. If you're saying, what page is that in the Pew Bible? Some of you really use that Pew Bible, and I appreciate that. It's on page 1166 of the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 10, picking up in verse 46, we will go there in just a few minutes. I like having the remote control in my hand, and so many times when I go home, I find it and just carry it around, and I can always know where I've been because that's typically where I leave it. But as I'm scanning around, I'm always drawn to track and field events, even if they're old events. Or during the Olympics, the Summer Olympics, I love watching the track and field events more than any other events that are out there. And um, I wish they showed more field events. You know, I don't get to see enough hammer throw and javelin throw. You know, they only give you just a little bit of that. But they show all these running events, and I'm, I love watching these. But one of the things that I don't like seeing, and you've probably seen this before if you've watched these at all, I'll give you an example. Wilhelm Belosian was from France. He was running in the 110-meter hurdles, and he false started. That means that before the gun went off, he just, a split second before, false started. They stop the race. They make everybody go back to start it again, and then you wait. And then there's a judge that walks out, and he walks out onto the track, and he gets into the lane of the person who false started, and you just wait for him. He's either going to clear him, or he's going to disqualify him and he raises a red card, and just like that, disqualification, a lifetime of training over because of a false start. Or Javier Colson from Puerto Rico was disqualified from a 400-meter hurdles race for a false start, and he was the favorite to win the gold. In each case, I watched this official walk over to them and give them the red card, which means they were disqualified. A split-second jump before the starting gun, and everything was over, disqualified, done. And the heartbreak was easy to see once they got that. You could see everything just sort of crumble around them. Some have said that in track and field, that one false start disqualification rule might be one of the cruelest rules in all of sport. There is no mercy, just disqualification. Can you imagine a once-in-a-lifetime event occurring, an event that you've waited your whole life for, and you lose your chance because of a simple mistake? It can happen. Stand with me as we read from the book of Mark, picking up in chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 46 to 52. Mark chapter 10, picking up in verse 46, says this, Now they came to Jericho, and as he, that would Jesus, went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. 
And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to walk back through this, talk back through this. I will tell you this. It happens to me every time I'm in God's word, if I will but be in God's word to be sensitive to the spirit of God. God desires to speak to you. He desires to share with you about him through his word. He desires for you to be drawn closer to him because of what we're getting ready to study together. And so I pray that you will lean into, be ready for what God has for you on this moment. And if you happen to be listening to this and it's 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night or Thursday morning, I'll tell you that God's message for you is just as real whenever you're watching this online or if you share this. A lot of you talked about last week's sermon and you said, I kept sharing this. I kept thinking of people who needed to hear that message. Church, that's a kind of evangelism when you will share this and send it to people. So if you're watching this because somebody shared it with you, God has a message for you right where you are, regardless of what day, what week, and what time it is, because God's Word is always ready to teach us. Amen? Is God's Word always ready to teach us? See, I told you I was glad I had my voice. I'm going to need you maybe to have yours. Okay, so Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry. If you pull up the Gospels and you look at where they are, Jesus has begun his turn toward Jerusalem. Jesus is entering into the final days of his life. And Jesus knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be crucified. Jesus knows what's happening, what's coming in his future. And he keeps walking, he keeps moving, he keeps staying the course of the reason that he came. He will soon die on the cross for me and for you. That's where he's heading. For all who will come to faith through believing in Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus and his disciples and the crowd that is following them are passing through Jericho. Now, geographically speaking, they are 15 to 18 miles away from Jerusalem. But the way this travel is, as the way all things seems like that are hard are, this final 15 to 18 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem will be uphill. You know, I have found that most things worth value in life tend to take a fight. And Jesus will be walking uphill, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually for you every moment you see him through the Gospels from this point forward. Verse 46 says, there was a blind man by the road begging. Verse 46, 
gives us his name, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now, I want to stop and help us understand that this is not a nobody. When we read Scripture, so many times we hear reference of a beggar, a person. But here we're given a name and we're given a lineage, which means that people know who this is. Now, it's interesting. To God, you are a name. You are a lineage. You are a heritage. He knows who you are. And just keep that in there. You don't want to ever separate yourself from Scripture to the point that you don't ever see yourself as God sees you. But we know who this beggar is, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Many knew this man, even his family name, in a day and time, probably still true, where the blind, the lame, the sick were left to beg for a living. They were second-class citizens. And verse 47, catch this, when he heard it was Jesus. Now notice, this is blind Bartimaeus, but he hears that something is going on. The large following of Jesus, remember it describes, if you were to follow Jesus through the Gospels, you would see that he starts off walking alone, and then he grabs a disciple or two, and then he grabs a peer person or two, and, and if you watch in Scripture, the words start becoming crowds grew bigger, multitudes, multitudes of multitudes. Jesus had this growing following. And so as he is heading toward Jerusalem at the end of his ministry, Jesus has a lot of people with him. And that large following going by the gate in Jericho, which is where Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, the blind beggar was, he said, something's going on. Now we could have a conversation around, well, when he became, when he lost his eyesight, he had other sensors, sensory things go improve. I just don't think it takes that much stuff, much, that much stuff. notice when a big crowd goes by. And so he notices this big crowd, he could hear the activity, and he asks what it is. And then they tell him, somebody must have told him that it was Jesus passing through town. Now, he must have heard of Jesus because his response to hearing the news that it's Jesus causes a reaction in his life, a reaction that tells us that he must have heard Jesus. So how do we know that he must have heard of Jesus? Well, look at verse 47. It says that Bartimaeus cried out. It says that when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. Now, I don't expect to have my voice at the end of this service, but I'm so thankful that God has given me my voice for this moment because, see, I'm not the grammar person. I'm not the English person. You guys know this. And I'm going to try my best to not butcher the English language for the next few moments. But when I look at this, when I see in verse 47, it says, he began to cry out, and he said this. Notice at least in my Bible, and if yours doesn't have it, then you need to help. You need to get a Bible like mine, okay? But it says here in verse 47, it says, he began to cry out, and this is what he said. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you notice that exclamation point? What I just said is not true. Bartimaeus did not say, Jesus, have mercy upon me. 
What Bartimaeus said is, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See that exclamation point? You don't go, Jesus, have mercy on me. Now let's understand this. If he doesn't raise his voice, he may not be heard. Large crowd, right? Busy gate, big city. But the reality of it is, is I'm not sure that he raised his voice because the noise around him caused him to. I think he raised his voice because it was Jesus. He screamed, he hollered, he yelled out, and we're told this a couple of times. Son of David. He called Jesus his prophetic name to the coming Messiah. He knew the Messiah came to judge and to save. This blind man was crying out for mercy. Church, let me tell you what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's mercy. When we come to know Jesus with our sins, we receive his grace. What we, we get what we do not deserve, and then we're given mercy where we don't get what we do deserve. Grace and mercy. And he knew that this was Jesus. He understood enough that means that he knew that because of his sin, he deserved punishment, judgment, or to be forsaken in life. You know, sometimes when you're cast aside at the gate and you're blind and you have all these issues, it'd be easy to think nobody knows who I am anymore. I'm not important. But he cries out. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's trying to get Jesus's attention. Verse 48, those around him said, dude, chill, calm down. You don't have to yell. There you go. He says, don't yell. That's rude. You don't need to. What do you think you're doing? You're making a scene. And you know what he does? They tell him, he said, stop yelling. Stop hollering. Stop screaming. You know what they're saying? Jesus is not going to hear you. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus is too busy for you. Just calm down. Leave Jesus alone. He will not hear you. There is no hope. Church, when we discourage people from seeking Jesus, we do them great harm. We do them great harm. Jesus will sort out the rest of it in their heart, but we need to tell them that their hope is in Jesus, that they need to turn to Jesus, that they need to cry out to Jesus. And so here we are, blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, beggar, by there, everybody knows, not a nobody, God knows who he is. Here's a big crowd. They say it's Jesus and his followers, and everybody says, dude, you need to be quiet. Calm down. Don't make a scene. And then when you get to verse at the end there, he says that he cries out all the more. Verse 48. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He says, you are not going to take my opportunity. Desperate. I looked it up. Among the many definitions for the word desperate are this, is this one impossible to deal with. Now think for just a second. 
Is there anything in your life? I'll go ahead and tell you there is in mine. More than one. Things in my life that are impossible for me to deal with. And when you face things that are impossible to deal with, you have two choices. Give up, lose hope, or cry out to Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. Calling out to the one who knows everything about you. Desperate people do not allow anything to separate them from Jesus. Think about Mark chapter 5. We're not going to go there, but I take you to verses 25 to 34 where we talk about the woman with the issue of blood. Issue of blood, you know, she had spent years doing this, had bankrupted herself medically and financially speaking to be able to do this. And she heard Jesus was coming and she forced her way into and through the crowd and all she wanted to do was touch the hem of his garment. And in that time, Jesus stopped and said, whoa, something just happened. Something just happened. And the disciple says, Jesus, a lot of something's just happened. And they said, Jesus said, no, something of faith just happened. And he stopped and turned to the woman because she wasn't going to be denied. She knew that her hope was in Jesus. And blind Bartimaeus understood that this moment was his chance, maybe his last chance, because you know Scripture says that Jesus will not pass that way again. Did I tell you where he was heading? He's heading to Jerusalem. And in a number of days, he's going to be crucified. This is his last chance, perhaps, for blind Bartimaeus to be close to Jesus. So because he understood his dire situation and because he understood about the greatness of what he had heard about Jesus, he said, this is my chance. And then he was bold, he was determined, he was desperate, he was tired of things being like they had always been. You ever get that way? I'm so tired of things being like they are. Blind Bartimaeus said, well, I'll tell you the answer to that. Cry out to Jesus. And he cried out to Jesus. He had likely heard of what Jesus had done for others and what he had taught others. And this man believed that Jesus could help him. And this man was willing to do whatever it took to get the attention of Jesus. Now, just put yourself in this busy atmosphere. If he doesn't cry out to Jesus, he may not be heard. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he just kept screaming it and kept screaming it and kept screaming it. And people said, be quiet. And he kept screaming it. How many times do you allow people to tell you how you should come before God? This man said, no, that's my only that's my only hope. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get Jesus involved in your life? You know, I wish 
that by the fact that we walk into this sanctuary, by the fact that we answered the phone or we logged into YouTube or Facebook, I wish that that singular action is what granted all of us the mercy and the grace of God. And as much as I'm glad that you are here and we are called to be together, it is not the act of coming together that causes us to become saved. It is the act of faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ as your only hope. And so we are all finding that we have our hope in Jesus. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get Jesus to touch your life? Verse 49, miracle happens. He stopped. Jesus stopped. Jesus was heading to the cross but he stopped. What love, what mercy, and what grace. Verse 49, Jesus says something that at first pass you might think, well, that's, that's not right. He says, Jesus called for the man. Blind Bartimaeus by the gate. It would have been real easy for Jesus just to say, stop and walk over to him. But Jesus says, whoa, stop. Come here. Blind Bartimaeus, he says, you come to me. So they told him in verse 49, he said, hey, hey, Jesus is calling you. Jesus calls the blind man to come to him. Look at verse 50. Pay attention to verse 50. He says, and throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Now, I want to talk about that garment for just a second. That garment he discarded is called a hymation, H-I-M-A-T-I-O-N. Now, I hope these words that I give you that I've obviously had to learn and study this week leading up to this, I hope that you will go and study too. I don't ever expect you, don't want you to take what I say as the gospel. Go and do the work of applying Scripture in your own life but it's called a hymation. It was a thicker outer garment worn by Greeks in the time just before now, now being the first century, the first 30 years, you know, in a time before Jesus, it was a distinguishing garment. When a man wore a hymation, he had to be sure to keep the edges of it from dragging on the ground because if he had it dragging on the ground, being a distinguished Greek individual, it would be considered poor taste to let it touch the ground. The hymation was also to be worn a specific way so that people do not assume you're some type of barbarian without any understanding of how to dress. It was an important garment. This garment probably also kept Bartimaeus warm when it was cold and protected from the dust storms that could blow up on occasion. Not many beggars would have such a garment. Perhaps this garment hearkened back to a day, and we don't know, where Bartimaeus was somebody else doing something else. And then life had changed, and all of a sudden, this was his most Precious thing in life. And Jesus called for him. 
He said, hey, Bart, come here. And they said, hey, man, he's calling your name. And he grabbed this thing and he threw it out of his way. He discarded it quickly. He threw it aside, perhaps because he didn't want to have any hindrance between he and Jesus. It may not seem like much. You're going, Jeff, you're making an awful big deal about a garment that wasn't even in trend in that day. But it was all Bartimaeus had. And he held on to it because it defined him. It said, don't you guys forget what I once was. Don't you guys forget who I am. But he discarded it and threw it aside. He left, church, everything to follow Jesus. Everything. If you're a note taker, this sentence that I'm getting ready to say next might be an important one for you to write down or at least remember. Jesus only asks us to leave all we have to follow him. Think about that. Jesus only asks us to leave all to follow him. Now, we could chase scripture for a while on this, but you guys get this point, right? Jesus called people to follow him, and he said, let me go bury my father. Jesus said, no. Let me do, no. Jesus said, you follow me, and the moment that you're called to follow, Jesus only calls us to leave all we have to follow him. Example, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And he said, well, I've done all those things. And Jesus said, okay. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. And Scripture teaches us that he left sad because he had much. You know what that really means? He was not willing to cast aside all that he had in order to follow Jesus. What's important to you? What are you holding on to? What do you consider precious? Important, valuable? What do you consider defines you? Now, we could be talking clothing here. We could be talking relationships. We could be talking position, power. We could be talking all kinds of things. And I trust that the Holy Spirit of God, who knows your heart and mine, will lead and guide us to show us exactly what it is that we call our hymation. What would Jesus have you let go of in order to follow him more fully? Verse 51, interesting question. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? It's one of these moments that we go, really? It should be apparent. What do you want me to do for you? Church, this is important. You see, Jesus understood that he was blind. Jesus understood what he wanted. 
Jesus knows all of these things. But what Jesus is waiting for him to do and what Jesus is waiting for me to do and what Jesus is waiting for you to do is admit your need. What do you want me to do for you? Seems like such an obvious, why do you ask that question? When in reality, Jesus is calling you to that moment where you must profess your need. Verse 51, he says, Rabbani, he calls him that. Jesus is only called Rabbani twice in Scripture, right here, and also in John chapter 20, verse 16, by Mary Magdalene. It meant Lord or my master. You see, he's been called son of David, was a messianic title. Rabbani is a sign of personal faith. What Jesus is calling him to do is profess his faith in Christ. Verse 51, he says exactly what I probably would have said. And he says, that I may receive my sight. He said, Jesus, I want to see. If you look at the same scripture from, or same story from Matthew chapter 9 in verse 28, Jesus asked the blind man, this at this point. He says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? See, Jesus said, what do you want me to do? Bartimaeus said, I want to see. And then Jesus said, according to Matthew 9, 28, do you believe I can do this? The blind man said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Church, do you believe that Jesus is able to give blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a beggar by the gate in Jericho, do you believe that he is able to give this man his sight? And we would say yes, part because we've read the story, right? Part because at our deepest level, we understand that God is able to do anything and everything he desires. Amen? Church, we need to hear that again. God is able to do anything and everything he desires. We know this to be true. We know this in the deepest of our hearts. But sometimes we're still hesitant. Because we go, but... I know that he helped the woman with the issue of blood. I know that he gave blind Bartimaeus his sight. And I don't have trouble believing that, but what I have trouble believing is can he help me with my need? Can he help me forgive somebody? Can he help me by healing What's wrong in my body? Can he heal my marriage? Can he provide that job that I need? Can he help me start giving the way I know I'm supposed to biblically? Whatever your challenge is right now in this moment, you are questioning, can God take care of this?
at your deepest faith level, we know he can do anything and everything. At our highest level, we're faced with, what do you want me to do? It's what we do in between, church, that makes all the difference. You see, sometimes Bartimaeus could have said, you know, that hymation of mine, it's getting really old. I could use a new one. You're going, well, Jeff, that's dumb. Do you know sometimes we get so used to our challenges that we face that we don't think we're ever going to get rid of them, so we never think to say, God, could you take away my blindness and give me sight? We just assume that problem exists forever. So Jesus says, what do you want me to do? Whatever your current challenge is, Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do? But he's also going to see what you're willing to discard in order to come after him. Verse 52, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Isn't that cool? He said, Lord, I want my sight. Jesus said, you got it. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, Jesus had compassion on other blind, and he touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight. And in both this scripture and in verse 52, we see this phrase, made well. In the Greek, it's the word sozo, S-O-Z-O. It doesn't mean to be made medically well. It means to be made spiritually well. Sozo. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. This is not, wow, I got my sight. This is, wow, I got my life. And so many times in life, we wander around blind or with our challenge, unwilling to call the attention of Jesus, unwilling to step out and let people know who we're calling unto, unwilling to admit our need, and we walk through life less than what God wants us to have. And Jesus is saying all along, what do you want me to do? And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. The word sozo means to restore to make well, to preserve one who is in danger. And if I can tell you honestly, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, this moment you are in danger. It means also one final definition I wrote down for the Greek word sozo, to rescue. I was without hope. And then Jesus came into my life. Sozo, made well. Immediately, he received a sight. Now catch this, don't be done. Don't be done. I know it's 1058. I did look at it for a second time. I know what time it is. But I need you to stay right here because if you miss this final point, you'll miss something. Verse 52 Look at what it says. Then Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus says, go back to life. You're free to do whatever you desire. This limitation of blindness is no longer in your life. You're free. Jesus says you can live fully as your burden 
of sin is also no longer limiting factor in your life. Jesus says, you asked, I provided, you're free. Now go about your life. That's what it says. And then look what else it says. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. He followed Jesus. Church, we need to understand this. This man had been touched by Jesus and was free to do anything and everything he wanted. Jesus did not put a requirement on him on how he was to act. Jesus just touched him and made him well and changed his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that he became a new creation. Old things were passed away. All, th all things became new. Psalm 37, 4 said, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Blind Bartimaeus, who's no longer blind, has been given the, the encouragement by Jesus. Now go your way. And blind Bartimaeus, who's no longer blind, said, Jesus, you are my way. Yes. You see that? He found his desperation to call out. He was honest about his need. Jesus changed his life. And then Bartimaeus said, I'm not leaving you. I will follow you. He received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. You know what we don't know? We don't know if Bartimaeus said, Jesus, hang on. Let me go get my hymation. I bet he didn't go back and get it. I bet he said, that was then. This is now. God will make the things you thought were what you couldn't get by with seem absolutely unnecessary when he provides all your needs. Amen? I wonder what Jesus desires to provide for you if you will but cast aside everything else, it's not about him. Church, what is your hymation? What are you holding on to? We studied in Sunday school, as many of you did. I believe another word we could use for Isaac, as we studied Abraham and Isaac, was hymation. Abraham, God was testing Abraham, and he said, are you going to hold on to Isaac? more than me. Church, what's your hymation? What is God calling you to do? Now, you could follow the lead of an ex-blind man and say, I have a need. I need mercy from God. Jesus is waiting for me to call his name. Jesus will lovingly receive me, and then I can follow him all the days of my life. Amen? And it starts with, Son of David, have mercy on me. Hmm. God's good, amen? I want to remind you, whatever your need, Jesus is able.
but your faith in him will be his requirement to do anything else in your life. Makes total sense to me. Today, I hope that you're encouraged to reposition whatever that need is and give it to God. Be desperate about chasing after God.